Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast, but it's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition Solutions. Skyway helps you know more, do more, and win more in the government market. To learn more, visit skywayacquisition.com. Today's topic was recommended by a listener, and it's all about clauses. Why are there so many, and who decides which ones are in my contract? Okay, here we go. So what's up with all those clauses? Government contracts are, well, they're long, right? And, and one reason is that they're chock-a-block with clauses. They, they have mandatory clauses, optional clauses, clauses that have fill-ins, they have little blanks you got to fill in. They have clauses that have conditions that sometimes you use, sometimes you, sometimes you don't. There's service contract clauses, there's commercial contract clauses, lions and tigers and bears. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot, right? So, and each clause has a reason. Like like every rule that we have in the FAR, it came from somewhere. So it has a reason that, that it was uh, created and why it goes in Either each Either somebody contract. did something that they didn't like, so they made a clause to prevent them, or there's <laughs> some politics behind uh, the particular clauses. That's or, right, and they yeah. come and go and get updated. And, and, and there are so many clauses in the uniform contract format, which we have a, a cast for, that they hit their own section, section I. That's all clauses. So – how are people supposed to decipher all these clauses and make sure that they have the right ones in the contract and make sure that they all work? And that's what we're going to talk about. Before we start talking about that, let's take just a second to say thanks first. Today's topic is actually from Donnie. It's not the exact question because the real question was, what's the best way to select all these clauses and make sure you have the right clauses, provisions in your RFP or contract? And actually, to help answer Donnie's question, Skyway does have a video on YouTube. It's free. And you just, you just have to Google how to use the Farsight and then type in Skyway, and the Google will find it for you. And it walks through how to use clause logic. But it led us to this idea of clauses are complicated. Let's spend some time walking through how they work. So thanks, Donnie. And now back to the show. <laughs> First, let's define. There's provisions and there's clauses in the FAR. Provisions are in requests for proposals in RFPs. Clauses are in contracts, and they're very often confused and the words are used opposite or incorrectly, but it's the same thing. It's just which which document they're in. Yeah, and this is this is a legal syntax that we're not going to uh, that is as much as we're going to say about that today. So all of the provisions and clauses are crammed into FAR Part 52, and this is right near the end of the FAR, and it takes up a lot of space. The FAR also tells you how things are numbered, and it actually makes sense when you look at it. So 52.2 is the text of all the provisions and clauses, and the numbering after that is the important part because it lines up with the other sections of the FAR. So 52.215.52.215, you know, is a clause that relates to FAR Part 15. 52.219 relates to FAR Part 19. So as you get more experience in this, even if you don't know exactly what the clause does, just by the number, you can kind of tell what it's going to be about. And that does save you a little bit of time because you start to know where to look them up, where to see where they're prescribed. So if you think, man, 
the FAR has a lot of clauses, but it's just not enough for me. I wish, <laughs> I, not I, wish I had more clauses. Well, Can't get enough of them. You're in luck. It turns out that each agency in office has their own supplement to the FAR. We've talked about that before. You know, For DOD, Department of Defense has DFARs. Right? They have their own supplement. And even below that, there's layers that the Navy and the Air Force and the Army each have their own supplements as well to that supplement. And all those supplements contain more clauses that are specific to those agencies. They're set up because agencies sometimes have specific needs that don't fit anywhere else. So it allows them to tailor and and make better some of the clauses. Some of the supplemental clauses replace FAR clauses, same clause, just a little bit tweaked. Some of them are about stuff that's not even in the FAR. And oftentimes in the, in the FAR, it will say in accordance with agency procedures, which that phrase means somebody at that agency has to make a supplement clause for it. Everywhere in the FAR where it says in accordance with agency procedures, the agencies have to create something to fill that gap. And sometimes it's a clause. So that's another way they'll end up here. Right. So some of the clauses are there because the agency has special needs that they need to have satisfied. Other supplemental clauses could be just a, a one-time use kind of thing where – there's an acquisition that has something specific that they need to make a clause to take care of that need, and they'll create a clause just for the contract, and it never shows up anywhere but that contract. It's not in an agency document, policy, procedure, reg, anywhere. And sometimes those are called special clauses, and they're in Section H, but that's a whole different topic. <laughs> special clauses, so some examples to give you an idea of what we're talking about. So like the Department of Defense, they have a clause called pricing adjustments. Well, pricing is assessed in FAR Part 15, right? So their clause, if you've been following along, so there's 52.2 is the FAR. Well, the, the Department of Defense, they put a 2 at the front. So there's this 252.215, which tells you, hey, it's a DFARS clause, and it's in part, FAR Part 15. And of course, the number is 7,000. So when you see, and this is, by the way, going to be not in full text. You'll just see this line that says 252.215-7000, pricing adjustment. In it, in it, that's a DOD clause, right? And then another example would be NASA. Their special numbering is 18. So here's a, a subcontracting clause called the Geographic Participation in the Aerospace Program Clause. Its number is 1852.244-70 because it's from far part 44. Right, so the 52.2-whatever is a standard thing. There's a, like a prefix on top of it that's unique. So again, as you get more experience, you can glance at a clause and know which agency it's from just from the numbers. And you'll get more used to these numbering systems when you target specific agencies. You should recognize <laughs> the numbers. because I NASA right. is not somewhere I spent a lot of time until I worked down in Florida, so I didn't realize that 18 was their number because I lived mostly with DOD and Air Force. Right. See how that happens? Yeah, <laughs> and you just mentioned something we should make clear. Uh, you said something about you won't see all of this because it'll it, it'll be incorporated by reference. So the difference between a clause that's in full text versus incorporated by reference, what's that? So incorporated by reference means that you'll see a list of, of clauses, just a number and a title, and you could potentially see pages of them. And, and the expectation is that you, Mr. Proposer, went and read them, the full text of them in the FAR, because you can Google them, right? And then the ones that are in full text, it's literally, the, they copy and paste every it. Every word of the every, clause yeah. is printed out in the contract, and you can read it right there. The, the by reference is, is go look it up, buddy. And, and funny story, there's a clause that's called clauses incorporated by reference, 
It's a clause that says, by the way, we the government choose to have a lot of these clauses be in by reference. And of course, that clause is in full text. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's good because otherwise every contract would be a thousand pages. Exactly. This saves saves a lot of, well, paper in the old days and saves a lot of uh, bits and bytes now, I guess. And time. So how do you know whether or not a provision or a clause belongs in your contract? Well, it's prescribed. Like a doctor. Like a doctor, (laughs) right. So every provision or clause that you find in FAR Part 52 is prescribed in the other parts of the FAR that are actually talking about the topic that the clause is about. So the prescription for a clause about allowability of costs would be found in Part 31 that's talking about the allowability, and it says something like, use this clause in all solicitations. And, and the cool part is that in FAR Part 52, it will say, in accordance with some farsight, insert this clause. So you can go back and see, because it'll say conditions like in commercial contracts that are more than $50 million, they're going to have a specific... Right, it'll point you to it. So yeah. you don't have to just uh, geez, search around and find it. It'll point you exactly where you find the prescription, but you do have to look at what the prescription says because it, it's like you were just saying, there are different rules for when it applies and when it doesn't. Some might say, use this clause in all Others might say use it in all above a certain threshold or, or below a certain threshold. Or all except on, you know, on Tuesdays when it rains. You know, it's, yeah. So there are just thousands of these types of prescriptions scattered throughout the FAR and all the supplements. So it's a spider web. Yeah, it's very intimidating to think, wow, I have to select, I have to go through every single clause here and figure out whether or not it fits in my contract. And believe it or not, Back in the day, there was a big matrix that you got to go through one by one and find out whether or not the clause applies. And it's not quite as bad as every clause because, of course, the matrix would say, if you're doing a fixed-price contract, use this list. If you're doing a cost-type contract, use this list. And there are other ways to narrow it down, but very tedious process to go through it by hand. Luckily, modern magic. So I was just talking about the first way to do it, the manual method. So the whole matrix for selecting clauses is actually in FAR 52 as well. It's FAR 52.3, and it has a column for each type of of contract type or or purpose of the contract. And it lets you know what are the required solicitation provisions and clauses, which ones are required only when certain conditions apply, which which ones are optional that you could add just for fun, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) No no comment. Why would you do that? (laughs) It also tells you whether or not you can incorporate it by reference and therefore not have all the text right in your contract. It tells you which part of the contract it goes in. Most of them, the biggest list by far is in section I, but every section has a few clauses. That's a good point. And it also tells you what date that clause was created or added to the FAR. Or or last updated. Or last updated, updated, yeah, because they get updated all the time, so... Of course, you got to know exactly which version you're talking about. And an interesting note to to point out is that at the bottom of the matrix, it actually says, or at the bottom of this section about the matrix, it says, since the, and I'm just going to read because it's funny, since the matrix does not provide sufficient information to determine the applicability of a provision or clause in the required when applicable or optional categories, in other words, when, when, when you don't really know the circumstances unless you're the contracting officer, the contracting officer shall refer to the FAR text, which is 
what you just talked about, going back and looking in FAR Part 8 or FAR Part 22 or wherever you came from, where it's prescribed. So in other words, use the matrix, but by the way, go back and check everything. Yeah, you got to check anyway because <laughs> that's a lot of work. You don't know out of the the matrix doesn't give you all that information, or the matrix would be so massive no one would ever touch it. It's already massive. <laughs> so this is a great example of like, okay, if you want to just try this once, just to show how impressive it is to have an an option B, which don't, we're going to talk don't about. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, don't, oh, okay. It, 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 we, the only time I ever used the Matrix was in Quentin class in like Con 101. Or right. we, we pulled it <laughs> right. out and I'm like, whoa, what's this thing? And it's it, it's a giant checkerboard and it's it's really kind of crazy. So there's a better way though. Yeah, luckily now clause selection is very automated and there's really kind of two ways to do this. Many agencies have a contract writing system like Conright or PD2. Which stands if, for Procurement Desktop Defense. Yeah, it's not actually the second one. It's two Ds. That's right. So confusing. But if you don't have one of those contract writing systems that helps you select clauses, you know, you you enter what kind of contract type it is and the value and things like that, and it automatically selects and deselects some clauses based on those. You still have to think, but most of the work gets done. It's a head start. Yeah. The second way you can do it is you can use the clause logic feature on the Farsight. This is a farsight.hill.af.mil and it's it's got to be the longest running and most common Farsight out there, right? There's I, lots I, of ways you can find the FAR online. Yes, I believe I, I believe it's the official Farsight. Yeah. Like it's, it's it's the government's official. It's certainly one. not fancy in any way. It but it works. Like, it looks like it was it hasn't changed much nope. in the entire time it's been on the web since the infancy of the web. So if you go to the Farsight there's a clause logic button on the in the upper left corner, and and this is free, by the way. I mean, it's, it, it, anybody can use this, and this is part of this. So this uh, far sight we talk about, that's what the video that we mentioned earlier, specifically, it's a screen share that walking you through how to use it. So it'll save you a lot of time if you've never actually used a clause logic. But honestly, it's pretty simple. Just click on clause logic and follow the instructions. Yeah, I might even be able to figure that out. Why are clauses important? Well, they matter. <laughs> clauses are the tripwires and traps that you can fall into if you don't follow, right? If the if you don't know what clauses are in your contract, there could be one requirement buried in a clause somewhere that you miss. And then what? Yeah, and and unfortunately, most of them are punitive. Like they're they're gotchas. I mean, they're designed cuz somebody did something wrong and now they're they're making a rule that you can't do it again. And the good news is that not all of these clauses apply to every contract. Of course, the bad news is that you need to figure out which ones apply to your contract. But the basic idea is that you don't have to read every single one of them. If you don't have a contract that's research and development, then all of the research and development clauses don't apply to you. But you still have to figure out which ones do apply. And so the tools that we just laid out make this a whole lot easier. Yeah, and full disclosure, I'm not a clause person. That was my most hated part of the contracting officer job. And still, on the industry side, I am not a fan of clauses. I do not like going through all the clauses and figuring out which apply and which don't. I don't like the the tedium of that part. Luckily, there's some people that do like that part that can do that, but not my favorite. How about you? Actually, I, I, oddly enough, when I first discovered the um, the clause logic, I used it because it helped me understand why this clause is in there. And I even went to the point where I had a contract writing system and I still used the clause logic because it was one of those things I could do in, you know, like an hour on a on a Friday afternoon and crank out and, and actually understand which one of these clauses that the system put in there that don't actually 
need to be in there. I mean, it happened. <laughs> Computers yeah. aren't right. Oh, yeah. But, but the th- it, was, it was a great way to see the thinking part of the job. And it also made you aware of, wow, it, it's a lot of clauses. And a lot of them are not like 50 words. They're like 500 words. I mean, it's just a lot to digest. So specifically on the government side, why should the government care so much about this? Well, clauses are driven by laws in lots of cases. These, these are the policies that you have to follow. And most are not optional. They're, they're in or out according to a rule set. It's not – there's no thinking involved there. It just – it is what it is. You need to understand what's in there and what's not and what they're designed to do. And it's a large part of your contract. It's a, if, if you don't know what's in there, one could argue you don't really understand your contract. <laughs> so that, that's because, again, as, as tripwires, they can create problems. And the basic ones are easy to learn just through experience. You know, with, through, on, on the job training, you're just going to pick them up. But uh, some of them are actually kind of funny. So let's pick out one of the funny ones. Yeah, and the funny ones are just part of the clause proliferation. Like you need, need a clause for everything. Add a new clause. Some of them, why do we need? Uh, my favorite new one, uh, this is 52223-18. Fun number there. Encouraging contractor policies to ban text messaging while driving. So aside from the politics behind why is the government encouraging contractors to ban text messaging while driving, it's a safety thing, but it's also... You'd think out of self-preservation people would just do it, but anyway. But yeah, so funny that there has to be a rule. But there's actually a clause that says the contractor is encouraged to adopt and enforce policies that ban text messaging while driving and conduct initiatives in a manner commensurate with the size of the business, such as establishing rules and programs, education and awareness training, and even better, it's a flow-down clause that you have to insert into all of your subcontracts. So instead of just trusting that people are going to do the right thing to, to be safe for themselves... Now there's a clause that has to be inserted into every contract and every subcontract. So that's time and energy taken to protect us. Is that what the FAR is for? <laughs> Personal safety? Well, and, and so th- this is one of those that this is, was a direct result of me reading through the clauses that were in a contract. And first of all, you hear that it says the contractor is encouraged to. Okay, so by the way, that's not required. They're saying, hey, please do this if, if you've got nothing else to do. Then it says, uh, conduct initiatives in a manner commensurate with the size of the business, which, okay, that's totally judgmental. So my, my point is, this is unenforceable. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just taking up more space. Okay, so why create a clause right. to encourage somebody? It's not a shall. It's not even a will. It's we encourage you to do this. And, and so the, and the reason we pick on this, not because we think we're going to change the policy, just so this is why it's valuable to read your clauses. So before you, the government contractor, go, oh, I have 100 employees. Everybody has to take a no texting while driving certification. No, they don't. Just they have to say, you know what, please don't text and drive and send that an email. And technically you met this clause. So just that, that, that's why I, it's important to read them because what's in them. Yeah, and instead every company's updating their handbook and exactly. creating a training class and all, all this other costs, yeah. Now there's the other way to some clauses, you know, if, if you, it's the opposite of this. If you, there's a bomb in there that you better know is in there. But in this case it was, you know, it's kind of a, it's a, kind of a false alarm because <laughs> I've seen people freak out over this clause. I'm like, please go read it first before you make a giant, giant policy change. So that's, that's a good segue to why industry should care. 
you got to know which clauses actually require you to do something and which are just helpful suggestions and encouragement like that one. <laughs> Nicely said. Right. And an example would be 52.219-14, which is a limitation on subcontracting. But that's the one that says when you have a contract, it's a small business set aside. You cannot set. You cannot give more than X percentage of the work to another company if you're the small business that won it. And of course, the logic in that is that you can't be a shell company who's a small business while a large business is doing it in the background, right? Well, this one I have personally kicked two companies out of a competition over. So this is the opposite extreme where, yeah, if you don't pay attention, and it, by the way, it's not even in full text. That little line, 52.219-14, limitation on subcontracting is all you're going to see in the RFP. And if you're not in compliance with that, I legally can't give you a contract. And that, like I said, that, that's the other extreme. You know, we, kind of, we, we laugh about the, the other one being unenforceable. This one is strictly enforceable, and like somebody would protest and win if they prove that you didn't do this. So that, as a contracting officer, I'm going to take it seriously. So there's your two versions of why clauses matter. And some of the clauses are just how you're going to manage your contract. Like there, there's a clause usually that talks about how options are going to be exercised or holds the option values. There's that's a fill-in clause. Yeah, yeah, a fill-in clause. There's clauses about if you have an incentive type contract. There's clauses about how those incentives are managed in the contract and how you can earn them. And some of the clauses, like we talked before, like that require you to do things like encourage your employees to not text while driving they, they can be cost drivers for the the industry side if you have to update your employee handbook or create training there's a lot of clauses that require you to do that and my big suggestion to industry is use clause logic if you again if, if you've been targeting something and you don't have 500 rfps you're chasing and you have like two when that draft rfp comes out spend some time and make sure all the right clauses are in there because for example if there's one that favors you that's supposed to be in there that for some reason is not this is your chance to send an email to the contracting officer and say hey by the way make sure this clause is in there please because it's required in accordance with you know x and because that happens i mean some of them get dropped out some of them get added when they're not supposed to be there you know some of them and not to mention the fact that if you understand them you're gonna be better capable of to execute and win through them yeah don't be a jerk about it don't be calling the co out and saying oh man you missed all these <laughs> you blew it dummy uh <laughs> But it's always good to understand what you're getting into before you submit a bid, not after you win and figure out that there's a clause in there that is a cost driver. Exactly. Well said. Okay, let's summarize what we just talked about with clauses and provisions. Well, I'm going to break it down to an uh, an analogy here. Is that the clauses are kind of like tire strips, you know, in a rental car lot. If you drive the right way on them, hey, no worries, they go right, you go right over them. But if you back up and and go against the grain, then boom, you get a flat tire. So, understanding which direction you should be going, the flow of the clauses is going to make your contracting life a whole lot better. <laughs> okay, I'll kind of buy that analogy. I I get it. Most of the time you're driving along, you don't even know the clauses are in the contract. Like an e-pass lane. Right. But as soon as you run afoul of one, you blow a tire. Like the Buy American Act is in there, right? You never even think about it. But if you're buying parts and you buy something that you're not allowed to buy, you can't actually deliver it to the government if it does if it's not in accordance with the clause that says you got to follow the Buy American Act, right? So well, I, I, you I like better your- know, uh, you better know that that clause is in there before you get a flat. That's a good point. And let's all be thankful that the clause process is very automated today. Although it can be dangerous, the automation from having a contract writing tool that does clause selection or even using clause logic, that automation allows you, I don't want to say to get lazy, 
but it allows you to be inattentive because most of the work is done. So that's how lots of clauses get left in there that don't belong because no one's really thinking about whether it belongs or not. That's how clauses are missed because some of the logic may not trigger and select a clause that really does apply. So you still have to pay attention. The automate the automation makes it a heck of a lot easier. You still have to pay attention though. And I would suggest that you use clause logic to save time. And and I want to just put a, a shout out to back in when I worked at Patrick Air Force Base, clause logic went away for like a month. And I actually, at the time, Dee Lee was a, the director of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. I actually emailed her directly and said, hey, um, is there a reason that the clause logic went away? Because I kind of use it a lot. And as it turned out, there were lots of other contracting officers who emailed her from all over the, the government that said, hey, what happened to clause logic? And they put it back on. And that was like you know 12 years ago. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting I'm a hero. What I'm suggesting is use this tool and then tell people you use it because it's free and a lot of people don't even know about it. And it is going to make government contracts better. So you know, it fits nicely into our overall mission. Nice. How's that for a plug? <laughs> it's a good one. Okay, that's a good place to wrap up this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend. The greatest compliment you can give us is to spread the word about the Contracting Officer Podcast. As always, if you have questions, comments, complaints, or a suggestion for a topic, Send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com.